0: When you have a seasonal menu and you know the growers and you know their farms, you know their practices and you know their spirit, then you get to work with a whole passionate team to create something that then you actually in an open kitchen can see diners
1: enjoying. It makes you feel really, really passionate, alive, creative. We are continuing with our Women of Pippet miniseries uh, celebrating the Pippet Girl Gang event, which uh, brought together women who work in and around the wonderful restaurant Pippet in Pottsville in northern New South Wales. And today we are speaking to Jude. Ng. Jude is a cook at Pippet restaurant. Welcome Jude. It's so great to have you on Dirty Linen. Thanks so much Danny for featuring us. Well, as you know, we've been talking about doing this for about a month and obviously the floods have intervened and made things tricky in a connection wise, in a planning wise, but also in a, an emotional sense. Uh, I really feel like we need to start with what's going on for you right now, Jude. You know, how how are things? How are you feeling? Um, I literally just woke up from a nana nap
0: because um, decided yesterday to finally take my first break after the floods um, occurred. And I guess, you know, there's so much neem going on and it's just continuing as more towns open up um, and as the water recedes in other areas and so just more and more neem but also realising, wow, I'm just losing bits and pieces and it's just getting a bit too hectic, neen to
1: stop. So that's where I'm at at the moment, Danny. So what have you been doing, so it's sort of like running around like volunteering, cleaning up your own living situation? I mean, what's been happening? Luckily,
0: um, where we're located in Ocean Shores, one of the areas that has been severely affected by the floods, we are up on top of a hill, thank goodness. Um, But our household is made of um, marine rescues, volunteer spike, and various other members who the whole house is basically on the ground volunteering in different capacities. And it kind of just randomly started when my housemate, Lisa and I went out to the country club, which was um, an evacuation site here, the Ocean Shores Country Club. And we just went to donate some swags, didn't know what the organization of things were and really thought that services were organized um, for that. And when we rocked up, it was pretty full-on, um, lots of evacuees, about a, about 200, um, and just realised that it was actually civilian volunteers coordinating a lot of it. Um, there were some DCJ workers, et cetera. And then the people, um, like staff at the country club, just asked, oh, can you cook? And I was like, yep. And... Literally, he said at 5 something p.m., we need to feed dinner for 200. Um, And so my housemaid and I went back home and luckily we grew some squash, really giant squash, and we picked as much as we could, grabbed some herbs, grabbed bits and pieces of um, kitchen utensils, went back up to the country club and tried to familiarise ourselves with their massive kitchen Um, and, yeah, just got in there. Um, And then it kind of just rolled on to cleaning houses, um, moving heaps of carpet, underlay, da-da-da, to then coordinating um, meals to be distributed. It was like, I think, 800-plus meals the other day that was distributed directly to homes and accounted for by all the volunteers who went street to street and reported back as to how many meals they actually handed out. And it was 800-plus meals in the Mwurrumbah, Yukai, Nimbin condong area
1: so that's kind of this week and a half or so it's just uh so full-on it's so intense i mean uh, just it i just as you can see i'm a little bit lost in words <laughs> because i just the sense of overwhelm when you're just thrown into this situation i mean yeah, I feel like, you know, yeah, nap. but do you also feel like you need to sleep for about a week? I mean, and you must have seen people at a really low ebb, like in, in a great deal of distress as well. For sure. For sure. Um, it As
0: everyone's kind of described it, uh, it ebbs and flows, you know, you're, you're on adrenaline, you're majorly focused and then suddenly when you stop, it all crashes and you try and rest as much as you can, but your mind and heart and emotions are all racing. You wake up to another day of need and of floods. So, uh, I guess just to sit down and have a bit of normality and also gather together with some volunteers yesterday and today has been uh, really, really helpful. You know, debriefing about
1: it. it's been really
0: great too. Yeah,
1: but very overwhelming. <laughs> So, Jude, I mean, how do you think things are going to pan out over the next weeks and months? I mean, does it feel like, I mean, will you, I don't know, like can you go back to work or is it just going to be, are you just in the, in the thick of it for a while? What do you think? It
0: kind of feels like a continuation um, of all the ups and downs of COVID and having to be adaptive and flexible, not knowing week to week you know whether you're going to be at work for your full schedule, whether we can run service or a full service, etc. So, in a way, it's kind of like we've been a bit well versed and trained in it. <laughs> um, yeah, and our household and workmates—they've been fantastic. My boss is amazing, so we've just been in really good communications and just checking in um, as to what's realistic or not and getting intel from the ground and in other towns as well, seeing, oh, maybe, okay, now that this area, Ocean Shores of VAC centers done, um, people have kind of dispersed to other areas and then hearing back, okay, what's another town that's in need or now friends who've returned back to their homes if they've been trapped elsewhere, etc. you know, how do we help them on a more personal level as well to ease their distress? So it's just day-to-day, week-to-week.
1: Wow, it's just yeah, it's it's going to be a lot, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'd love to learn a bit more about you and how you come to be there um, at Pippet in the Northern Rivers anyway. Um, can you track back a little bit and tell us about yourself?
0: Well, I oh, – how do I start? Um, originally – I was born in Hong Kong and then moved over to Australia, Melbourne, been there for most of my life. Then found myself in Coffs Harbour and um, surrounds and fell in love with that area. For four years I was there as a social worker and prior in Melbourne was a social worker. Um, always worked in the space with people that have um, come out of prison and were reintegrating back into the community. And in Coffs Harbour it was specifically a... Um, a court based program actually, which was more a preventative side of things um, to prevent people from going in or staying in prison for a while um, and working with addiction and um, problematic substance use, etc. But found myself just feeling a bit underutilized, um, needing to be active, needing to be creative, was really sick of the bureaucracy and went traveling just to kind of clear my headspace. And it was in South America that things just were very uh, interesting in terms of the events that occurred. Um, And one of them including, my intention going to South America was to volunteer um, and to see if I could just start tapping into the food space, which was always an interest of mine, but combine it with social justice and social values. So I actually applied for um, Central's uh, head chef's research branch um, in Peru to see if they were taking on any volunteers. And, of course, you know, I emailed them and obviously didn't get a response back. But then when I was in Peru and a flight was delayed um, from Lima to Cusco, I actually went upstairs to get an empanada and found Vahelio Martinez making eye contact. And I thought, it was, <laughs> I thought it was someone's cousin, to be honest. I was like, that guy looks familiar. And um, I was on the phone to a bank in Australia because I had lost my wallet and my bank card. And I actually had to stop um, the ING worker and said, hey, can you just hold on a second? I actually got to Google something. And I Googled Vahelio Martinez and I looked up at him and I just I just said, oh, hey, mate, um, you know, I, obviously I tried to apply for your research branch, um, didn't get through. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're very busy. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing now? I said I was just heading into Cusco with an organised kind of trip, um, but when I return to Lima I'm happy to peel potatoes for you and would love to work with your project where it was trying to – I guess they were trying to preserve um, Indigenous culture through food and representing that in their restaurant on their menu um, and working with the community.
1: So, just for anyone who doesn't know, let me just put a tiny bit of context around it. So, um, Virgilio Martinez is a chef and owner of Central, which is, you know, considered one of the world's best restaurants, always on the world's fifty best lists. Um, it's in Lima, in Peru. And well, one thing that that I remember about that restaurant is um, not that I've been there, but just virgilio has been to Australia a few times and just looking at the menu and stuff. That they they did this menu of altitudes, where each course was um, food from a different altitude, and you just think, wow, there are just completely different ways of looking at cuisine that, I mean, when I say different, it's actually pretty old school. Like if you lived at an altitude, you you would eat the food from the altitude. But just to, you know, I guess reframe the dining experience in such a mind-blowing way I think is, you know, just one example of um, his creativity and intention. So, yep, you pick it up, Jude. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, not even just seasonality but then altitude on top of that is next level literally.
0: Um, But, uh, yeah, um, he said, why don't you submit a proposal uh, to Rodriguez, which was the research coordinator. I was like, sweet, okay. And I did it. They accepted it. And the plan was for me to meet them in Lima after this trip. Um, When I went to Cusco, also it was very synchronous because I met um, my friend there who was woofing in Australia, she had a cafe in Cusco and she said, oh, what are you planning to do after this trip? I said, oh, look, it's pretty free actually at the moment. And I'm thinking of um, volunteering at this restaurant in Peru. I said, "Uh, do you know this restaurant called Central? And she's like, "Uh, yeah, of course I do. Um, And then she actually introduced me to her friend who were one of the leading volunteers in uh, Mater Iniciativa, the research project. And it seemed to all go well until I got bitten by a dog in Cusco. Yeah. And it was it was actually before I was meant to fly back to Lima. <laughs> um, suddenly I found myself trying to madly email them uh, after an emergency flight to Miami, which was the only place that had this specific rabies vaccine. And I was on the ICU bed with an infected leg. <laughs> um, And, yeah, emailing them saying, I'm going to be back. I'll see you soon. And I think by that stage, Rodrigo must have thought I was some crazy lady. Um, And I actually intend to contact them again saying a few years later, hey, look, I'm actually cooking. I'm not crazy. I have scars to prove that I got bitten. (laughs) Um, And that never left me, you know, that amazing opportunity and all those synchronicities I just really believe in that. And over the years, um, it was something that I couldn't ignore. I had to leave the security of what I studied for, what I worked for many years and, you know, start from scratch again. But I feel
1: most alive. Oh, my goodness. But hang on. So the dog bite was bad enough that what you had to come back to Australia in the end or, or like finish your trip or what? I had to
0: continue. Look, I didn't want to come back to Australia because I had subletted my room out to someone in coughs, and so I went kind of skidding around I left Miami and but literally skidding around Brooklyn, New York with crutches and this massive backpack through blizzards, um, trying to make some sort of a holiday out of it because as soon as I came back to Australia they would have stopped tr- my treatment and I had to have ongoing treatment. So I was just popping into pretty
1: ghetto hospitals to get ongoing treatment. Because but- you had it on travel insurance? Correct, Yeah. <laughs> Well, just life is so crazy. <laughs> that is really amazing. So, okay, so you came back to Australia and just basically, like, changed everything.
0: It took a while to shed those, um, I guess, expectations, you know, cultural expectations, expectations for, I guess, the life that I had built up for myself. I had a very secure job, very, very comfortable But it wasn't challenging me. It wasn't stimulating me. I wasn't being able to be creative and alive and engage with the people that I really cared about, which were our farmers. You know, I loved our farmers' markets and we had some amazing growers in Bellingen and Coffs and that surround. So it was always a passion and um, slowly, slowly with several events and I guess fortunately, unfortunately, COVID opened up the doors as well Uh, for me to get into the restaurant industry through
1: the back door. Ah, so how did that happen?
0: Yeah, I was... (laughs) Um, So I met my ex-partner in Nimboidome when we were volunteering um, with a cook-up for the RFS and he was a chef um, and he was planning to move up to the Northern Rivers to start his ice cream business. Um, A lot of events occurred with him in his personal life and I... I had planned to go on a working holiday visa and actually was had all the papers ready, did, did everything that I needed to do and was ready to go, had sold and donated and um, given away all my belongings except for my backpack, uh, my car and my surfboard and was going to go to Spain for um, a stagiaire. Then I met him. And I thought, oh, okay, look, I'll just enjoy summer in Australia and see how it goes with this fellow, but wasn't planning to settle here at all, was really ready to fly and start getting into hospitality. Um, But then COVID hit and I ended up staying, went to, you know, went up here to Brunswick Heads to help set up his business, et cetera, and, yeah, met, like, just... Of course, like enjoyed dining. Pippet was one of the places that we dined in, um, a few other restaurants, and basically just asked, Hey, like I was doing before, I just between jobs I would just say, Hey, can I come into your kitchen and volunteer? And um, was given these opportunities, including actually I noted her um, I noted her in the um, Girl Gang magazine. Beatrice was actually an amazing cook in melbourne who gave me the first volunteer opportunity to go into her kitchen um, which is a little cafe in seddon it's it's changed hands now but she was the first person that really gave me a shot to cook in a kitchen um, and learn and starting from scratch so that's what i did in byron as well and really lucky these people gave me the opportunity i'm so blessed that they did um, and had faith in me. And even then, now, I just sometimes I feel way out of my depth going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm working alongside these people. <laughs> um, but they're just patient and good educators. So, yeah, I, I just feel the most alive now than I've ever been.
1: What is it about being in a kitchen that you love? I think oh, man, just
0: the seasonality. When you have a seasonal menu and um, – And you know the growers and you know their farms, you know their practices and you know their spirit. And then it's, like, amazing. They give you what they've spent so much time on and they let you create something with it. And when the menu changes, it's just more stimulation. Then you get to work with a whole passionate team to create something that then you actually in an open kitchen can see diners enjoying live it, yeah, it's um, it makes you feel really, really passionate, alive, creative, and you're in it with the team. And then, and then you actually then kind of taper down and do the discipline stuff, which is just cleaning at the end of the day, and you just feel satisfied. And then the next day is a new chapter.
1: Is that? I mean, is that a real satisfying contrast to your social work career, where you probably didn't get to tie up neat bows at the end of a day. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's oh, you're spot on, Dani. It's um, some you know you have small you have wins. You, you like social work, community work, whatever it is. We all tell each other it's a small wins. It's a small wins, and sometimes some clients who were in the most dire situations, most disadvantaged, they really surprise you, and, and that's fuel. But most of the time, unfortunately, it's this ongoing process of, yeah, a lot of loose ends and you just don't feel like you've been able to, when you've got, when you're working in the system as opposed to volunteering in the social space, sometimes you get really tied up in reports and um, accountability and all that, and which is necessary. but just adds another layer of complexity and a lot of loose ends. So with cooking, it's just you've got a beautiful produce, you create something beautiful out of it hopefully, and then when it's in an open kitchen and you can see directly as soon as a person puts it in their mouth and their expression, that that direct uh, feedback is just yeah (laughs) that does it for me that does it for me
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) that really makes sense I mean you mentioned you know the your previous career was really secure and um you know you had qualifications and all that kind of stuff like did you have or do you still experience pushback from like family or other people around you
0: definitely yeah um every phone call I have with my dad even um when I say oh dad um Created this dish of this event and it was an all-girls event, um, you know, really talking about social change, da-da-da, and he's like, yeah, it's pretty hard work, isn't it, <laughs> and, you know. Um, he, he, yeah, it's constant pushback, but he knows I'm passionate and I, I just couldn't imagine sitting back at that desk again. Um, even, Even to be able during these floods to combine cooking with social support of the community. That's exactly the perfect pairing. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I really, that's where I really want to go in the future, social gastronomy. But right now it's just to absorb the industry, get to know how it works, skills, discipline, all that. And I'm very lucky to get that at Pippet with the team there.
1: Yeah. Well, explain why Pippet is such a fitting workplace for this stage of your career.
0: Being, like, it, it's funny when in the events they there was a pop-up and it was like a young chef's pop-up and I um, was very lucky to be invited to be part of that. And, and then I kind of have a laugh in my head because I'm actually an old chef, <laughs> um, a mature age chef. And so I really felt that, okay, I need to have good teachers and Ben is very scientific and the team is very scientific um, they, they, they're very much about perfecting everything, measuring everything, making it better each time. They don't do shortcuts. And that's really what I need um, and they provide that. It's, yeah, the level of excellence that they they express on their plate is just phenomenal. And even, even Yen, Ben's partner, um, how she operates her side of the business, of Pippet, you know, and organizes tours for us as a team so that we continue our education about you know what's going on out in our local area producers etc that's just next level
1: I mean what about the the um, female side of it like being a woman in in quite a male dominated industry traditionally where I imagine social work it's more women than men. I might be wrong, but I mean, how how has that side of it been?
0: Yes, so that that has actually been um, very eye opening uh, and quite a challenge for me. Having that social work kind of awareness, um, we think very systemically, structurally, um, contextually as social workers. It's ingrained in us, and to then go into industries where. It's completely the other way around sometimes, you know, in terms of the male dominance, um, some of the behaviors, etc, and a lot of acceptance I've had to really accept and adapt, but also it's been very healthy to speak to more. Aware, I guess, more socially aware, more in tune chefs in the industry, and that's happening. I'm, I'm realizing and feel that that's increasing as we go, and also women in the industry supporting each other is also super important because then we can actually get a sense of um, what's reality and what we should put up with and what we should actually assert and what's not healthy. Um, and I really hope that over the years, you know, we see more women come in and can support each other. We really, really need to band together and support each other in this industry.
1: Mm. So if I understand rightly, you're saying that as with someone who's had all this experience um, looking at systems, you're able to move into hospitality and see what the systems are and where perhaps they could be done better and that bit by bit you're seeing spaces where you can communicate that and perhaps start to create some change. Is that right? Yes,
0: yeah, so I'd like to try and do that but also I've had to accept to let go of some things because the industry in a lot of ways are not that ready. As well, um, hmm.
1: yes. Yeah. What do you reckon? What would you? What have you let go of that you think? Well, maybe I could one day pick that back up. <laughs> oh, I've got a huge garbage bag full of that, Donny. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know.
0: <laughs> um, again, just looking at like, oh, looking at all the context of um, health and society and what makes for a better world. You know, you, when a restaurant is and I'm not pointing fingers at any particular restaurant but so many restaurants, and just because of resource and time and space factors, one thing, sustainability, you might get sustainability on a plate, you may get sustainability from produce sourced. and then in terms of food waste, or in terms of um, you know rubbish disposal, etc and sorting. It's actually quite rare to actually see the whole system being complete and being um, being interpreted in all the ways that a kitchen runs, besides from what is presented on a plate and on a menu. Does that? I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's just that sort of carry through where, um, you know, I think. I mean. I think partly because most hospitality businesses are, are very small and very busy and very intense. It's like a lot of people don't have time or they're not perhaps used to looking outside much or, or not in certain ways. So I think it does make sense that you might, and also there is this culture of an intense focus on, you know, whether it's a period of time, like it's service or it's an intense focus on a plate or an ingredient Uh yeah, it's. Um, I think looking holistically does take. Uh, I mean, awareness that that's a good good thing to do, but also time, and that's something that a lot of people and resources, as you say, and you know, all those things are are often um, elements that hospo people don't have much of. Um, and there's always this forward momentum, isn't there? So, so being reflective, uh, finding time for reflection can be a big challenge.
0: Absolutely, and even just, um, I guess, like. Team culture, looking after everyone's well being. It's such a time limited environment, high stress. Um, and so I think, you know, hopefully as years go on and as we bring more people into the industry, that I think it's actually quite beneficial to have people in the industry that didn't necessarily start from when they were 17 or so straight from hospitality and continued on, just like with a, offering a different kind of perspective. I found very helpful for me to relate to, um, and very healthy as well. So I really hope that that happens a bit more, and um, and seeing more female-run kitchens, female-led kitchens, is very refreshing as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I know you're still learning, and you know, Pivot's a great place for you right now. But you do have these other ambitions. Like, do you have a vision? Like, can you see how this is going to take shape?
0: At the moment, it's I'm really just trying to um, not overwhelm myself because I don't know with with what's happened with COVID. It's really hard to picture what's a sustainable kind of hospitality venture. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely know that it has to have a social cause, but operated in more a business sense. Because everywhere I try and travel to, uh, I really want to tap into any social gastronomy projects and I've seen some amazing ones around the world um, and some that have good intentions but don't have, I guess, the I guess the standard in the chefing and the discipline in that. So it's got to be a really good combination of both but operating in a very business savvy kind of way. Um, the target groups of who we would like to support, I'm quite open to too. So... Yeah, at the moment it's really just trying to gain inspiration, seeing what works in other models and what, don't, like, what doesn't work and then on top of that going, okay, what's sustainable in the future if, say, COVID's still around or whatever, you know, what, what's sustainable, what's workable.
1: Yeah, I actually um, just chatted to a chef in Chicago today. His name's Jenna Tamaska and his restaurant is called Esme. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes, I've heard. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, so you probably know, like, he used to work for the Alinea Group, you know, super fine dining and a lot of development and research. And his first restaurant, Esme, is designed as this social project uh, so, in collaboration with artists or other community groups, they add a clip to the ticket price which um, goes to fund um a charity or a good cause um and then each dish is a, is um, bounces off an element so at the moment they're doing this series of dishes that uh each one relates to a photograph from a local photographer um, and yeah it's uh I really want to go. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's one example of a restaurant that's um, designed around a higher purpose. And yeah, I think, I feel like we're going to see a lot more of that.
0: Absolutely. I, I remember going to, oh, I forgot what the restaurant's called, but it's like restaurant slash it turned into community centre as well and was run with a really high standard by Klaus Meyer. I think he was, he sounded um, it. Uh, And it was in an area that had a lot of projects there, a lot of um, government housing there and had one of the highest crime and shooting rates. I had the best meals, (laughs) Um, best meals there. And it was the young people from those um, public housing that was serving, that was cooking. And they then had this massive lineup of the elderly people of the community who could come and eat lunch for free. They also had programs about nutrition um, because junk food was more accessible for that community there. And whilst they were educating single mums about nutrition towards the evening, they also looked after the kids and provided somewhat of like a childcare. So Oh, just that is amazing um, and very inspiring. Lots of creative ways to do it.
1: Yeah, incredible. Um, So, yeah, I love it. What a great chat. I can't wait to see what you do. Um, But, Jude, um, just as we finish off, I would love to know what you did with the squash that you picked from the garden with all the herbs and what you fed to the evacuees. (laughs)
0: Oh, it was nothing nothing amazing because we literally had half an hour to feed 200 um, and Lisa, my housemate, got roped into it. She's like, oh, yeah, I helped with the dishes in a kitchen back in the day. Oh, she's she's a writer, you know, and, a, yeah. and um, she jumped in there as well and so did the staff who were actually able to access the country club. Others were trapped um, in their homes, etc. cetera. Um, they just jumped in, the grounds people jumped in, and we made just – a massive, massive batch of squash. And then we raided the cauliflower in the cool room. So I'm really sorry to whoever prepped that and prepped the onions. You chopped really <laughs> hard and we just raided right your fridge. Um, but just a massive, massive pot of, you know, veggie soup with herbs and then um, grabbed some yoghurt, So that on the side. Um, Bread Social donated some beautiful breads. Um, and then we cooked the next morning, massive ba- batch of scrambled bacon, you know, just things to feed the masses. But, um,
1: yeah. Love it. I'm sure it was extremely appreciated. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say, Jude? I just really um,
0: appreciate that even to, for, for Pippet to have picked up on the theme of featuring young women chefs and then actually pair us up with phenomenal mentors um, mine was Caroline who works at the Star Hotel. Just that meant a lot to me because um, there was more heart in it. There's a, there are a lot of pop-ups just for the sake of pop-ups, but this one was really socially bound. And um, then the guests that arrived were also very socially conscious, which made it more of a celebration. So I really appreciate that. And uh, even for you to pick this up to interview us about this and make it a point of importance. Uh, I really appreciate. So, thank you so much.
1: Well, I just think it's um, just I don't know, just leapt out at me, made me feel good and and proud and excited for people who could uh, feed from this great energy. You just um, you never know what you know the turning point in someone's life is going to be, and um, yeah, I just think it's it's really it's really wonderful to be um bound by this um and we'll put the we'll put the link to the book the pivot Girl Gang booklet in the show notes so anyone who hasn't had a chance to see that yet please do click on it and um have a look at it it's really it's a great testament to Yen Trinh who's um co-owner of the restaurant and just an absolute powerhouse for good so um yeah it's wonderful to be connected with you all through through this podcast um Thanks so much, Jude. Um, all the best with uh, just the mammoth task of being part of the, um, the recovery in the Northern Rivers. Um, yeah, just uh, let us know what you need and I can't wait to come up there and um, eat your food, feel the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Danny. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. this